Hey, well, good morning to you. Um, in case I haven't got to meet you, and I think I've met everyone in the room, I'm Scott, one of the pastors here. And uh, this is January, if you haven't noticed, 2023. A uh, very important year comes upon us. Seems like half our church turns, uh, turns a significant age. Um, and uh, this week, we're really thankful to celebrate Mr. Jeff Jablonski turning 70 years old this weekend. And uh, challenge any of you guys, if you want to like have a physical walk-off, take a walk with Jeff and <laughs> let him bury you at age 70. So uh, we love you, man. Thankful you're here. I'm kind of sad you don't have that shirt on you had last night because that was hot. That, that, uh, <laughs> he had a special, I don't know, silk or chenille or something like that. I was, it was nice, though. <clears throat> um, hey, so in January, we take a time every year to, um, to have a vision month. You know, our, our style here is that we, we like to preach straight through God's Word. Not only preach out of God's Word in the sermon, but really our, our schedule is set up by that. So we move through a book, and we've been going through Romans as a church until we got to the Advent season. And so we'll be getting back to Romans, but first we have a, a time where every year we reset that vision as far as like who we are and how God's called us to live as a, as a church family. So uh, the theme of that um, that happens is, is really not so many uh, shocking, amazing depth things, but really to put it in front of all of us, like who, who we are, what is our identity in Jesus? Um, how has he called us to live individually and as a church? And particularly towards the end of it, we have this thing called waiting week where we really call the whole church together to really pray and fast and ask the Lord for direction and guidance in three ways, okay? Um, we call it waiting week because Jesus says to um, to the people that are following him, like, there's a day coming when I will leave and my disciples will fast. They'll wait for me when I'm not physically present. Jesus is not physically present on the earth. And so this is our time for us as a church to remember that and to call our hearts to wait on Jesus who would return. In the same way, like, you know, if, uh, picture yourself in a family and your dad is inappropriately hauled off to prison, persecuted, right? You would not just go on to all the holidays just ignoring the fact that you'd actually, you, you would really work hard to remember that it's rightful that dad would be there, that your family would be there. And so we would shift things around to, to remember the person that should be there. So we remember that Christ, we want Christ to physically be with us, and so we'll fast and pray to remember that towards the end. The second way we do it is, man, there are 110 things any church can do, and 112 that you could do on this upcoming year and how you invest your heart and life. And um, as, as Andrew had mentioned, he and I have been kind of talking this week in, in the office, just kind of as we've been thinking, reflecting as we both been praying about how God wants to shape our lives in the coming year. There's so many different things you can do, and there's all these influences and all these videos that tell you how you can change this or that or where you can invest your life. But we want to be people who are led by the Spirit of God individually and as a church on where He wants us to invest our hearts and our times and our efforts as a church. And so that waiting week is really dedicated towards that. We go to the Lord and say, Lord, where do you want us to adjust, change, move forward as a church? So that's the waiting week. That's the end of it. Caps it off. But throughout this, throughout this month, a number of things are going to happen. We're going to teach about our core identity as a church and your core identity in Jesus and some particular areas we feel like God wants us to um, advance in or reestablish rooting in. Then throughout the weeks, we are going to be highlighting certain ministries in our church that we do and how those actually flow out of our identities. In a moment here, Andrew's going to talk about MVM ministries and why we do that thing. What is MVM and exactly why, why it is that we do it. And, and we really want for you to, be able, you to be able to know well enough that if someone says, hey, that MVM thing that your church does, why do you do it? We really would like you to know very clearly how that comes out of the gospel for us. 
into the shape of that ministry. Also then throughout the weeks, we'll also be having small prayer challenges. And some of those prayer challenges will be for you individually as you ask the Lord to shape and guide you. Maybe your devotional life, maybe your church family life, maybe different elements. And some of those prayer challenges may be for us as a church. So you get little things in the email. It'd be a day set aside for a specific topic and for you to like give for the Lord and say, God, please help me to think this through. Please lead us by your spirit. But we're going to start us off this morning by an explanation, expose of why Cross City has chosen to do My Village Ministries as part of our thing that we feel like God has called us into. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm Andrew, if you don't know me, by the way. I'd love to meet you after church, if not. So, yeah, so, you know, at this time of year, everyone's reevaluating their lives, seemingly, right? But as believers, as God's people, one of the, one of the really the great luxuries that we have in, uh, as God's people, and what God's Word tells us is that we, as God's people, we don't have to go scrambling around, searching, turning over rocks to understand who we are. Um, this is actually something that God has made very clear to us in his word. He's the one who looks at us and he says, I am God and you are my people. He's the one who actually establishes our identity, just like the verse that we read at the beginning of our service, right? Second Corinthians 5 tells us that God says when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And as we are, as we are newly created by God, God establishes us and he declares to us who we are. It's not something that we have to go on a search to find. We look up in his word and we say, okay, God, we have been made new by you. And so we would like, we need you to tell us who we are. And when God says, this is who you are, it's true. Right? And it's unchanging. And it's unmovable because God declares it over us. And one of the things that, um, so, so this, is how we, this is how we as pastors, uh, we, we use this principle as we think about, okay, what should we do as a church? What are the things that God is calling us to do? Because we, don't, we know that the things that God is asking us to do, he's not asking us to do them so that we can become something, so that we can become his people. He's asking us to do things because he has already made us his people, and he's already made us new in Christ, and he's already established in us these identities. And so part of our vision is, is us as God's people looking to God, receiving from him the truth about who we are, and then what we are called to do is to figure out what that looks like as we seek to live out of those identities. Not working to live towards those identities so that we can become them, but what does it mean for us to live in light of what's already true about us in Christ? And so one of those things um, that we talk about a lot and we see very clearly in God's Word is that when God says you're a new creation, He says that He's reconciled us back to God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, He says that part of that reconciliation is not just uh, not just legal in, in nature. It is legal, right? We are, we are made, um, it's made possible for us now to have a relationship with God, but, but defined within that relationship, God says that we are now citizens of his kingdom and we're also members of his household. He says that we're his family. He brings us in and he adopts us into his very family and he seats us at his table. And he says, this is true. This isn't something that you're working for. This isn't something that you're working to earn. This is something that I'm saying is already true about those of you who are in Christ. That's a reality. And so we at Cross City, we say, okay, we look at that and we say, okay, God, we believe that to be true. We believe with you when you say that. You call us your family. 
And we want to live in such a way that reflects that as an actual reality. And so there's a number of things that we do. There's a number of ways that we position ourselves. There's a number of things that we put great intention towards as a church because this is what God says is true about us. And one of those things that, that grows out of this as God calls us his family and he says, you are to live as if that's actually true is my village ministries. Because within that second Corinthians passage, it says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation as we have been reconciled to God. He has reconciled us to himself. We are called now as his ambassadors to go and to share this same message of reconciliation with the world with those that need to hear this, that it is possible for you to be reconciled back to God in such a way that he would call you his family. Not just call you his family, but he would make you his family. And so as we, as we seek to, to find avenues and to find places where we can really actually put this truth on the ground and in, in real people's lives, one of the really unique and incredible opportunities for us to do that to live as reconciled to God and with this message of reconciliation to the world around us is through My Village Ministries. And so we have a couple of, just a couple of slides just to kind of give you a picture as to, one, why we do that, because we are God's family and we've been given this ministry of reconciliation to show the world that God's family is different. And that we, uh, God said, Jesus tells us that they will know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. And people need to see that. And so we welcome people in. And so My Village Ministries is an organization locally here in town that seeks to provide avenues for local churches to, to bring this to fruition in the real lives of real people in our city. So people who need help, people who need to experience the family of God that God has placed in Columbus on purpose this is an opportunity for us to do that. So what is it that My Village Ministries does? It says My Village Ministries partners with the local church to provide family preservation through biblical hospitality. This is their mission. This is what they seek to do. So they partner with other churches like ours, and they, their goal is to help families to, perse to persevere, to preserve them, to help, them, to help give them life, to help give them... Uh, safety because God started the family he invented the family it's his idea and God cares about families all across our city and he wants them to thrive and he wants parents to have kids and kids to have parents and he wants them to hear about this message of reconciliation so this is a unique opportunity for us as a church to be right at the forefront of what God is doing in the hearts and the lives of families who need help who need to encounter this message and who need to encounter God's people and see that there's a difference here. And so we get to do that by helping families who are in need, who's, who are encountering various struggles or difficulties and have great needs in our community. And we're able to do that with a very gospel-forward, Jesus-facing, biblical hospitality. We don't have to pull any punches. We don't have to do any workarounds to, to incorporate the name of Jesus. Everyone who comes into the program and who agrees to participate in the program knows that this is a gospel centered program this program you're going to encounter people who know jesus who love jesus and are going to tell you about this jesus that they know and that they love and so there's five main objectives that my village ministries sets forth and we like to we want to participate in all of these one their first objective is to prevent childhood abuse and neglect 
Their second objective is to prevent unnecessary foster care placements. So part of what happens is these are families who are on the, on the brink of facing having their children enter into the foster care system. And if you know anything about the foster care system, it can be a bit of a mess at times. It's, it's good and it's needed, but if we, can, if we can prevent families from entering into this system, we want to do everything that we can to make that possible. And so this is an opportunity where they reach out to local churches and they identify families who are on the brink of facing that, and they say, hey, would these churches be able to step in temporarily and help these families get through over this little hump of crisis and back into a place of health. And so we're able to step in as churches and bring these kids and these families into our, into our communities and show them the love of Jesus and provide for them things that they can't provide for themselves because God has resourced us and gifted us to do so. Number three is to prevent, reduce, um, and repair childhood trauma. To be able to bring children into safe and healthy and Jesus-centered environments where they can be loved on and cared for and, and prayed over and talked to about Jesus, and they get to see um, healthy and functioning families and be cared for maybe in ways that they never have been before. This is a unique, incredibly unique opportunity. A few weeks ago, we talked about the ways that God has been doing that within our community over the past year. We said that there were over 200 nights that our, that our church family, those who have hosted kids with, within My Village Ministry, there have been over 200 nights where we have had kids hosted in one of our church family's homes. 200 nights of prayer, 200 nights of, of love and care and healthy meals and baths and, and toys and, and hearing about Jesus and seeing people who love Jesus. That's 200 nights that those kids would never have experienced. But for, within this ministry, we're able to do that over 200 times, and that's continuing to grow every week, even right now. Last night, we added another night, and we will continue to add, add more nights of that as God allows us to. And so number four and five, the, the other objectives to provide family stability and holistic care. Physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. This is an incredibly unique opportunity for us to live out of this identity that God has given us. He has, he has taken us when we were in great need, and when we didn't have what we needed, and he brought us into his family, and he cared for us, and he gave us everything that we need. And so this is what we seek to do with these young people and these families that we get to encounter. So why does, why does My Village Ministries operate through churches? I'll just read this before you, and then we have a short little video. It says, many or most of the families that we get to serve are facing social isolation. And we believe that the local churches have a great community to offer those who are needing and longing for community. This is God's family that we're talking about. We don't want to just offer a person or family to those in crisis and isolation. We long to offer a whole community that can give consistency and compassion. We know that in the foster care world, up to half of foster families burn out within the first year. A key reason for this is because a lack of a lack of support while fostering kids. And we want to make sure there is a close community equipped and ready to support our host families. So this is why we as a church are saying Cross City Church is bought into this ministry. We don't just have families within our church who are agreeing to be a part of this ministry. right? It's not just the Hamptons are doing this on their own. This is us as a church agreeing to buy in and say we are in. right? The Hamptons and the Napolitanos and the Crewalls and the Foremans and all the families that have been a part of this right at the tip of the spear as the host families 
they will tell you that one of the things that they've seen is that the church, our greater church, has rallied around them and provided the support that they need. And it's been incredible to see. We've even got word from My Village Ministries. They've been sort of blown away. Like, man, we can't believe how well your church cares for one another. It's sort of unique even within their system. And so we praise God for that. We praise God for you, and we praise God for all that he is doing through, in and through our church family to allow us to be a part of this ministry of sharing the love of Jesus through biblical hospitality in, these, in the lives of these people who desperately need it. And so as we move forward, we're going to continue to push forward into this ministry. We're kind of evaluating and, and seeking the Lord in it. But there will always be needs, and there's always opportunities for everyone in our church to be involved, from host families to coaches to, to resource providers uh, to babysitters, all the way down the list. Prayer, there's all kinds of opportunities. So if you have questions about that, please talk to myself, one of the pastors, any of the host families, Robin, uh, <clears throat> any of them will help you. And they, they will be able to answer your questions and tell you how you can be involved. Um, so just real briefly, I'm going I'm to step down and just going to be an opportunity for us to see a little bit of a testimonial video of some of the families who have uh, been a part of the, the My Village Ministries um, over the years and get to hear some of the, the stories of families who've encountered um, this ministry. So, uh, so one, we praise God for his work and providing us with this opportunity, and we thank you all for the ways that you have contributed to this. And we ask that the Lord would help us to grow as we seek to push into this ministry further this year. So,
My favorite part of the LEC is the devotional. It's so cool that God has a plan for my life. Twelve-year-old boy who participated in our learning extension center with his MDM mentor. Thank you, Andrew, for that. <clears throat> Thank you for all those of you guys who worked so hard in that, in that ministry. I know we've talked about that ministry a bit lately, but um, <clears throat> we'll explain this a little bit as we go along here. But um, as a church, we've really chosen to try to adopt a lean and mean structure for our church, right? To truly have our MCs where we really are God's family and the DNA groups within that so that we're not clogging ourselves with a lot of different things that we're doing all the time and being disconnected. But it allows us to actually reach out together as a church in a handful of ways. And over these Sundays, we're going to betray what those, those things are. This is the first one of those, and many of us in our church have been involved in that and from hosting to providing meals, and it's been an excellent thing. It's a great, great way for us to show God's heart for the fatherless and the widow and the orphan. And so we thank the Lord that he's done that and that he will continue to do that. So we just want to be able to really clearly help the whole church know what we're doing and why we're doing it, all right? All right, as I go forward this morning, um, my sermon is going to be a little shorter <clears throat> because of that presentation this morning. Um, I hope in our times of our, of our vision weeks are going to be this, that we're going to try to keep some things rather basic, not to be simplistic, but we want you to understand for your sake, <clears throat> and we want you to be able to understand it for the sake of explaining it to other people. Maybe also even for helping other people find churches. Um, this is about you understanding your heart in God's design. This is about you understanding God's design for the church and for us together. So here's my disclaimer as we go along. I don't feel very good this morning. My head is uh, kind of spinning a little bit. So if, I, if it's a trashy sermon, just forgive me for that, would you? Um, and I told I told. Uh, <clears throat> I told Corey if I do bad, I'll just sit down. He could come up and read Psalm 16 again for us today. Um, today's, today's sermon is going to be, again, rather short, but I would challenge you for the sake of, like, what, what do you know about this? What do you know about this? Can you explain this to yourself, to a kid, to your friends? Because these are foundational things for us as Christians and for us as a church. So today's message is titled, The, Delight, the, the Delighted Family of God. And we're in Psalm 16. Psalm 16. So would you please turn to Psalm 16 so you can track along. There's two portions. Here's where I'm going. Number one, I'm going to try to demonstrate from Psalm 16, largely from Psalm 16, and reference a few things outside there. God has designed for us as his people to be people who are actually delighted in God himself and in the things that he gives. But we're delighted in him. We're not morose. We're not sour pusses, we're not angry, we're not frustrated. We're designed to be, as people who've been born again by the Spirit of God, people that have a new life that is characterized by people who delight in God. Aren't just chipper, aren't just clean, aren't just faithful, aren't just wearing some bumper sticker, but people, a whole family of people, of all kinds of sizes, shapes, and ages, who actually take delight in their father. That's what the saved life is. The safe life isn't a life of whatever with a golden ticket to heaven when you're done. It's actually 
Coming to Christ is the initiation of a new life where God has designed us to delight and rejoice in God himself. Much like in our Advent series, when we saw Jesus bring the gifts, brings the, joy, the, the gift of joy, the gift of, of peace, the gift of love, these new things characterize us. So number one, he's designed us to be delighted people in him. And number two, he's designed us to be a family who are delighted in him. Psalm 16, 1, let me pray. Father, so please, um, in the weakness of all our flesh and how all we feel and I would feel, please do your great work out of your great grace and help us, <clears throat> help us again freshly to think about who you are, um, who we are in light of you. Please help us by your spirit, stir in us right thinking and fresh new belief. Father, where appropriate can unveil and convict us of things that are off in our thinking and our hearts. Um, reveal to us the good things that you've done so we might rejoice in them. Um, clarify in our hearts and our minds the, the, the truth about the nature of us together as a church and individually. So Father, we ask that you would please bless our time by your spirit and do a good and delight-inducing work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So we are Psalm 16, the whole thing. So we're, keep it open. We're going to just kind of lace right out of that thing. Okay. 16, 1 and 2. Number one, we are righteous by God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. So gospel in the Old Testament is same as gospel in the New Testament. It's just in the New Testament we know who Jesus is. In the Old Testament, you would be a sinner saved by God's grace through faith in a mysterious coming Messiah figure. He would do something. He didn't understand a whole lot about it. But in the New Testament, we now know his name. His name is Jesus. You don't know God apart from Jesus. Nobody knows God apart from Jesus. So the gospel is still the same. You are people who are far off, and now God has made you his people. But in the New Testament, there's not only do we know who Jesus is, but now we understand way more about the nature of who his people are. We understand what happens to us. There's so many more features and facets that God unfolds in the, in the New Testament. But Old Testament, here we see it. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. God's people go to God for refuge. They don't self-medicate for refuge. They don't run away from refuge. They don't put their hopes in men and horses and in camels. All those kind of things that we see in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, all of our, our New Testament modern life, all the different ways, we aren't people who run primarily to other things for refuge, even though we're tempted to. And there's a hearty amen that I hear in your hearts. But we now run to God for refuge. And not only do we run to God for refuge, but he alone is our righteousness. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And that's one of the things that marks us as really gospel people. I don't have righteousness aside from Jesus. Um, when people know you at work, now let's just say you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus has been transforming you. Um, you will at some point in time, probably, have people say, you're a good guy. You're a good lady. You're a good person. And there's a reality of you, regardless of how you answer that at the moment, there's a reality of you. If you understand the scriptures and what God's done, you're, you're going, no, I'm not. But God's been working me. He's been changing me. I'm, I'm, I'm different. My, my heart has been like declared just by Jesus forever. 
But now he's doing a new work in me. He's changing me to look more and more at Jesus. But you would resonate with these words. I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. And that's when people say, hey, you're a good dude. You're a good lady, whatever it is. When the, when the opportunity is there and the Spirit opens that opportunity, we can say, no, but truthfully, I'm not. And neither are you, nor is your grandma, or anybody you can think about. Like, we're all sinners. But I do have good. But the good comes from outside of me. The good comes from Jesus. He alone is my good. And then when you're like, 83 and walking with Jesus and you're asked what is your good you say my good is in Jesus my good is not in me it's not of me it's never been of me the more you know Jesus the more you'll know yourself the more you know it's true there is no good in you before the Lord there's good from outside of you given by the work of Christ to your account and so your your account is full of good but it's all Jesus's it's all God's that was the case in the New Testament. That's the case in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, that's why he says, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. So number one, we are righteous by God. Righteous by God. Verse three, then we get to his family. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. Saints are people that belong to God. They're, they are holy shaped like the holy God. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And so this is the fo other followers of God that find their delight in God um, and that God's changed them. So more come on that in a second. So hold on to that one. We're going to come back to that in verse 3. Verse 4, we then see that these people who have made righteous by God are, are changed. Changed from natural men. Verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take the names upon my lips. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. So all those who run to someone or other things other than God for satisfaction, whatever their functional god is, their sorrow multiplies in the end. And it's an earthly life, an eternal life of sadness. So this is God's person that he has made righteous, stepping back and seeing the world, seeing two categories of people. People who have a different God and people who have the true God. And the people that have a different God, no matter what that God is, no matter if it's brand name or if it's just secularistic, whatever, if you have that other God and you pursue that other God, he says your end is sadness. So... When you get all the things you're coveting and you're dreaming about and you're watching YouTube videos about and TikTok videos about and, and uh, when all your hopes and dreams of your favorite podcast commentator come to light, you will be sad. You will be sad. That is your end if your God is a different God. So God moves us from this old nature of being delighters in gods other than himself into a new nature in verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. So listen, this, this is language of cherishing. This is language of treasuring. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So the Lord is my portion, my treasure, all I need, my cup, my share in life. God is my delight. More coming at the end of the psalm. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So God has already treated us well in this, Right? Not only is God my delight, but he's already pouring out these blessings on us. 
Then we get down to the practical section in the second half of the psalm about how it actually works. I seek God for my instruction and my wisdom and my insight, and that then gives me access to the delights. I seek God for my instruction, wisdom, and insight, and that then gives me access to his delights. Look at verse 7. I, believe, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. He gives me counsel. And in the night also my heart instructs me. So that's what's in your head on autoplay. That's what's shedding light as you go to bed, as you ponder stuff. God is giving you counsel. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So this person who has been redeemed by God and made right by Jesus has a heart that's been flipped from going after other gods to the living God. And now the pattern of their life so that they can access the delights given by the Lord is they seek the Lord for wisdom, instruction, counsel. And they fuel up on it and it's in their hearts and their minds and they can lay on their backs in their beds at night and think it over because they've freshly fueled their hearts and minds with it. Over this next coming month, when we have this vision month and waiting week, um, we want you to be able to challenge yourself to think things through. And, and a couple of different tools we have to do that, um, we have fasting we can use. Fasting is when we do something. In Scripture, it's pretty much always setting aside food in a way that creates mindfulness through hunger. The gnawing of your gut. You're like, oh, I want to feel that. Oh, I feel agitated. And you're like, oh, I do this so I can remember to pray. So we fast sometimes. It's not because it makes your prayer amplified and God's like, well, now I hear it because they're hungry. <laughs> and it's for you because your heart is just auto-generating on a repeat all kinds of thoughts all the time. And you use this tool called hunger to like cut through that and like, oh, oh, oh. Because if you don't, Often, the God of the universe is out of sight, out of mind. You're not thinking about him because the stuff is so thick here, right? So fasting is a tool to bring about some discomfort that creates a sense of mindfulness. Number two, we cut out stuff to gain availability of mind and heart. So and if you remember the back the, the parable of the, of the four soils, I'm not going to explain it too much, but the third soil, the cares of this world come in and choke them out, right? It's all the stuff, man. It's the job. It's the kids. It's, the, it's the, the love you have or the love you want or the love you don't want. It's all those hopes and dreams. It's all that schedule. It's all that Netflix. It's all that whatever. And it just comes in and clouds, so weaves it in that the sunlight of truth and God's word doesn't get through because life is so filled with stuff. And so we use fasting sometimes to create this mindfulness. But another thing we can do is we can rather aggressively go into our life and trim stuff out. Chop it out. Make some room. So for me, one of the things I'm hoping I can come to some clarity on this today, I'm going to try to take this month and I'm going to severely chop out some stuff in my life because I am an ADD to the, the max and I tend to reach for certain things that just fill my heart and my mind. Do you want to know what those are? I've got five members of my family that you can ask all about. So I'm going to think through what I can trim out, chainsaw some branches off, because I feel that stuff just swallow me so easily. And then the third is proactively ponder on God's Word. So the point isn't to get clear sky to you and just sit there and bask in it. No, the point is 
to remove some stuff so you can actually be with God in his words and ask his spirit to break it down for you. Bring truth and understanding of his word and of therefore of your heart and situation, leading and guidance from him. So those are three things happening this month. <clears throat> but they're reflected in this psalm in 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. How do I plan on doing that? I plan on doing that by not going to a bunch of other places that give me counsel, that feed me a bunch of stuff I want to hear, that make me, let me see a bunch of stuff I want to see or stuff I can buy or I can't buy, those kind of things. I want to cut through it all so really God can give me counsel. So he can put the promises there. He can put the fuses of delight into my heart so they burn down and I experience the delights in him. Furthermore, in verse 9, the result, when God, when sought, makes me glad. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Listen to that language. That's powerful language. My question for you is as you start this month, uh, when's that true of you? Has it ever been true of you? When is it true of you? How often is it true of you now? So uh, don't, let's not play games and act like you're doing better than you are. Let's also not play games and not act like God is doing his work in us. So let's think clearly and ask the Lord for guidance and direction. Like, what is the true state of things? Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. We'll ask the Lord, then, like, what does that look like in you? Where have you seen that happen in your life where as a result of you pursuing the Lord, not because he gave you something nice or a car or someone likes you or whatever, but, but in God himself, when's the last time your heart has actually rejoiced and like, you're beautiful and wonderful. And I actually feel that at this moment, right, to delight in him. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave, nor let your Holy One see corruption. This here is a quote later on we see in, in, uh, in, in the Gospels, particularly in, in the book of Acts. It's actually a prophecy about Jesus. You can't see it in a natural reading of the text here, but in, in Acts two different times, it says that David was a prophet and wrote about Jesus coming because Jesus' body would not be allowed to sit in the grave and hit decay. So this is a flash forward, an Easter egg pointing to Jesus. It applies fully to us here. For you not abide my soul to shield, nor let my, the Holy One see corruption. So God, when sought, he makes us glad. When God is not sought, you likewise will not be glad in God. He will become an ought to. He will become a conviction to you. He will become questionable to you. He will become increasingly unsatisfying to you as you increasingly distance yourself from him even though as you distance yourself from him you may feel all of a sudden that you are the very expert on the one that you're distancing yourself from quite the opposite is true finally the new life in christ finds its vast delight first in the presence of god himself and second in the abundant blessings he gives so this is this is important we mentioned this, 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 this text again and again. The first and greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your muchness. It's the first and greatest commandment. comes out of Deuteronomy. Repeated again in, 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 the, in the Gospels and the New Testament. That is very consistent with what's said here. First, we find our delight in the presence of God himself, and second, in the abundant blessings he gives you. 
The primary delight in God does not come in the stuff he gives you right here, right now. The primary delight in God comes in him. Look in verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. So God said, he says, God, you show me the way to actually see and live and abide. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. So in your presence, there is fullness of joy. That's God himself, fullness. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So track it. First, in the presence of God, and second, in the abundant blessings that God gives us. And he does give us so many blessings, so many blessings. But what marks us is that we are first people trying to seek and find delight in God in his presence, in a relationship with him, loving him. And so this is what we're made for, and ever more increasingly what we walk into and what we aim for in the point of preaching and teaching and these ministries, what do we hope for for the families and the kids that we reach out to MVM? We want them to know the delight of being with God. We don't want them to say a prayer and hang their spiritual scalp on the wall. Um, we don't want them just to fill another seat in here. We want them to be lit up by Jesus. What's, what, is, what is the grand effect of you and your MC and fellowshipping? It's when you have looked on Jesus and your face is radiant and your heart is full of joy and you have found him to be true to all the things he promises. That brings life to us when you delight in the Lord. It brings life to your kids when you delight in the Lord. Your kids and your family and your spouse and your friends, they don't need another angry, morose, frustrated person called a Christian who finds no delight in the Lord. They need us, if we are true, to be people who are actually stepping into this life, this life of loving the Lord, this delighting in the Lord. And it's really a message. This is where really the... <clears throat> we understand what the gospel is doing to us this is really where the rubber hits the road like what are we know what we have been declared to be before the lord but what are we becoming now like are we marked by this are we marked by delight in him are we marked by this joy are we marked by this peace are we strangely marked by something else flippancy maybe marked by anger maybe marked by sadness maybe marked by heaviness or are we the people who keep running the Lord and are tasting his delights and therefore are marked by this joy, this peace that passes understanding, this love that is not understandable to the outside world? It really is where the rubber hits the road because it's where our soul abides at. So this month, especially this week, is a time for us to think diligently as a church to rethink the true realities of this in our life. So I just want to encourage you to be brave. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, Show me where this is at. Let, and, and some of you guys may be on the side of like not being honest with the Lord. You're like, yeah, it's great. It's good when it's not. And so you really need the Lord to break that down. And then some of you guys might be on the opposite side of the spectrum where, where you're like, oh, it's trash. I'm horrible. Like it, and, but really, let's slow down. And maybe let's bring in some of God's family and go like, but has the Lord actually been doing that in you? Are there a bunch of times where God actually is teaching your heart delight in him? And maybe you just can't quite see it yet. Or maybe some of us can see it. So some of us, we can be on different elements of that going in here. But for both of us to lower our guards for the Lord's sake, Lord, teach us this. Let the essence of me be strong. Let me be walking with you, knowing you, and loving you. And this matches into your witness. If you are an angry Christian, like an angry elf, 
You're an angry Christian, <clears throat> a sad Christian, heavy Christian, weak Christian, carnal Christian, whatever those categories are, and they may not be very different from one another. The carnality of that Christian versus the moroseness of that Christian. When we are that, we are emanating an essence different than the message we're speaking. Jesus says, come to me and find life and joy and delight in me. He's been saying that all through the scriptures. So if we're walking around with the name of Jesus, but our, our spirit, our heart, is quite contrary to that, we should not be confused why people don't want what we're serving. Because they don't want to look like us. Or the God who eventually made us look like that. So brothers and sisters, let's delight in him. Psalm 1611 you make me know the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is the first part of this sermon. My prayer for us towards the end is that God will let us taste deeper and truer elements of that. But if you're going to taste deeper and truer elements of that, the way of life has been made known to him. That is, we go to him for his instruction. We go to him for his counsel. We go to him for his wisdom. And so you got to shut some stuff out to be there. Your other places, right? You still got 24 hours of the day. The reason we're not with him is because we're in other places than being with him. So this month, thinking it through, God, help me understand this, what it means for me to be a delighter in you. But let's circle back around to verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is my delight. So today was we are the delighted family in God. Number one, individually, we are people who have been born again to delight and love the God of the universe. But then what are we together? This comes into this play of like, what in the world is a church? Uh, my family recently moved from California to Tennessee, and so they've landed and they're looking for churches. I was down there a few weeks ago, and I went to a church with them. And it was a biggie. It was cool. Um, they approved their $31 million budget the day I was there. Um, that's, if you're new to Cross City, it's a little bit more than we have. <laughs> um, we're praying for some, like, rice and stuff like that to buy a building over there. <coughs> um, but amazing, I mean, hey, faithful sermon, uh, and we listen there. But the real question is for my friends and my family, like, what, are, what are you looking for in a church? What is a church, right? If, if, if this is who we are, we're the people who delight in Jesus, rest in the work of Jesus, chasing him. What is a church? And in this psalm here, it betrays us because God's people have always been God's people. But in the New Testament, we learn so much more about God's people. Old Testament, we are made of people. We were made of a nation, right? You become, you become an Israelite to access the God of heaven. But in the New Testament, this is brought in way, way broader and brought to a sweeter point. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. When you come to know the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament, you start, you've been transferred into new people where your heart now delights in the same people who delight in the God you delight in. And in the New Testament, the higher, sharper teaching, we see, I, I've just chosen one text to really bring this out. In, first, in the book of 1 Timothy, um, the way that it is described, what is, what is God's people? It's his family. And his name for the family is called the church. 1 Timothy 3.14 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, um, writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So it says how you ought to behave in the church. So we are in a church building. Some could say a recreation hall. Some could say other things about our building. We're very thankful for this building. But there is this nature for us to think a church is a building. There is a nature for us to think a church is a church service. But a church is not that. The church is the very family of God, the household of God. And it is a group in which you actively behave, not passively sit or stand and simply sing. But God's expectation, God's design for us, what he's invited us into and called us to, is to be in, a, in part of his family where you behave in it. And I'm not saying that you don't swear when you're sitting there like, no, no, no. How you function, how we function with one another. How you ought to behave in the household of God. And what she says, the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So the church is God's household. His family is sons and daughters. It's so much more than a social group, a team, or an organization. So this is where I'm going to say, for you, do you understand what the church is? But also, can you explain it to your friends? When your friends are moving to a new town and they're looking for a new church, I'm just telling you, nine times out of ten, they're looking for a church service. That's the first thing, right? What does that church service look like? How good is the music? How good is the preaching? What's, what's the ambiance? How are those donuts? Uh, although, you know, what does my church service look like? But the church is not a church service. Your friends don't need a church service. Your friends are Jesus. Your friends need a church. A local church is an arm of God's family, and it needs to function like God's family. That's why for us, we've, we've believed since day one as pastoral team that God has called us to afford every single person that walks through that door a seat at the family of God's, a seat at the table of God's family. That's what we need to do. That's what we broke then from back in the day when we had five adults and seven kids, whatever it was, to eventually two missional communities. Now we have seven missional communities that meet all over the city. Those aren't Bible studies. Those aren't gatherings once a week. That is where we're going to experience and be God's family. God has designed us and called us in to being his family, to be like one another. And to be honest with you, it's fantastic. And to be honest with you, it's threatening. It's weird. It's wonderful. It's horrifying at moments, right? But it's God's family that he's loved so much. He's invited us into it. And he's, this, is, this is the bowl in which we are invited to live in. Right? This is where God has called us in to be his family. You cannot have God without having his family. His family is deeply loved by him. It's a family that's described in a lot of ways. A family so loved that the son sacrificed himself for them. Jesus lays his life down for us. And a family so loved by the Lord that, that God himself says to actually, to insult them is to insult him. Um, he tells us in Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. A family so loved by the Father that the Son told us the Father, he says, he himself loves you. Come and talk to him as Father. A family that is indwelt by the Spirit who supernaturally fuels and sustains and powers us. That's why we're going to do waiting week. That's why we're going to ask the Spirit for leading on what we should be doing as a church. Should we be buying the building? Will he provide for that? Should we be stepping forward? Should we be scrolling back in the ministries? Should we push further into MVM? What does he want us to do as a church together? What does he want you to do with your time? The Spirit will lead us. 
and a family of family that means so much to the father that to speak against the family is called blasphemy. I know, that sounds kind of far-fetched, but catch this, right? Because we all have heard this like, oh, I love Jesus, I just hate the church. You ought to be careful with those words. In Revelation 13, 6, it opened its mouth, the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven. Part of blasphemy of those who are antichrist is blaspheming against the family of God. God loves his family. And children of God, if you know Jesus Christ, your Savior, he deeply loves you. And he has designed you to be a family man, a family woman, woven into his family. Not coming and just sitting in some kind of service. Not just sitting on the outside, being a perpetual church guest but to be a brother and a sister in God's family. Not just so people look like you, a mid-30s woman with the same state of life, but like with the oldies and the youngies, right? People of different colors and nationalities and different socioeconomic status as God has called us to be together. People who wrestle with just different, different stuff. It's, it's, all, it's all fine a lot of times for us to be together like when we all wrestle with the same stuff, but when you wrestle with different stuff, People across from you wrestle with stuff that you find quite easy and you think it's kind of deplorable in your nature that they would wrestle with that. But you wrestle with stuff that God has helped them conquer long ago. Right? To be amongst God's people. So we are God's delighted family. That's his design. That's his call for us. And brothers and sisters, I say it for you, but I say it for everyone else that we're helping walk, walk with Jesus through this world. Help them not find a service. Help them find God's family of God's genuine people who are delighting in him, who function as God's family because that's what the local church is. It is God's family. And that's why we have MCs in our church and why we say until you're, in, until you're in an MC, in behaving amongst, you are a beloved perpetual visitor and we're so thankful for it. But we want you to be in God's family. We need you. You need us. We are God's grace to one another. So brothers and sisters, um, we are offered and called to be the delighted family of God. Would you please, please pray, bow your heads. Uh, we're going we're to do two things. We're just going to pray through a couple things for you, and then we're going to finish with two songs, and we're going to ser- serve communion. If you know Jesus Christ, in that first song, let's just say this. Oh, wait, don't bow your head, look at me. Uh, we'll say this first half of the crowd here in the first song. If you're going to take communion, you can go to the first song. This second half here, if you're going to take communion, you can go in the back from the second half, if you know Jesus Christ. So please um, just consider this. I'm going to pray these things and give you about 10 seconds to pray them afterwards. Father, please show me the nature of my delight in you. Let me see how you've already let me taste of delights in you. Father, please do work in me to authentically give me delights in you and lead me by your Spirit into true joy and delights that you promised. And finally, Father, please move in my heart to understand and love the church like you have called me to.
Father, my brothers, sisters, and I, we come before you in, in the righteousness of Jesus and the love that you've given, the acceptance you've extended, uh, the passion you've um, poured out over us, that you yourself love us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for the spirit that you've given. Please help us this month. Help us reset and put our feet on the rock. Help us to stay in your ways and be instructed by you and to be led by your counsel in the night. Let us taste of joys and may we see the joys and recognize it and rejoice that you've done this great work in us. And as a family, Lord, may we love you and may you please give us heart to um, value your family like you do and uh, to invest our hearts and life in one another to help and be helped. Lord, then may you take Cross City Church, this church that is yours, and may you please make it um, an amazing people of you a work of you, a creation of you, one that represents your heart and holds and is clearly a buttress and pillar of the truth and a people that loves you and draws near to you and bears well your name. And all my brothers and sisters said, amen.